Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Just want to start by asking you a question, and that is, what comes to your mind when you hear the word blessed? Shout out. What comes to your mind when you hear the word blessed? Hashtag. Hashtag, yes. Anything else? My nan. Your nan? Yeah, she used to say it all the time. She used to say it all the time, yeah. Anybody else? What comes to your mind when you hear the word blessed? Sneezing, yeah, bless you when you sneeze. Yeah, anybody else? The awkwardness is making me more determined to actually wait for one more person to share. Slightly patronizing. Slightly patronizing, yeah, yeah, can be. So, oh, bless you, yeah, can be slightly patronizing. Well, I was thinking about this this last week. Uh, what, you know, what, what do people think of when they hear the word blessed? So I, I kind of went to the, the font of all knowledge, which is Twitter. And I typed in hashtag blessed. And uh, I thought, well, what's, what, what's going to come up? And the first thing came up was this picture of Martin Lawrence, who's a Hollywood actor uh, from the film series Bad Boys uh, with Will Smith. You may have watched that. Martin Lawrence is feeling blessed because it's his birthday. And he's got a cake with candles and he's there with his family. There you go. Very simple. That's what's made him blessed. That was the first thing popped up in my feed. Next thing popped up on my feed was a lady called Annie Hart, who's feeling blessed because Jurgen Klopp is the manager of her football team. That is what's making her feel hashtag blessed. Then we have Edwin Barola, who's feeling blessed because his boy has had a wash and his hair plaited. Now, I'm assuming... He, when he talks about his boy, he means his horse here because there's a picture of a horse in it. And I don't, you can't see quite well enough, but the horse's hair is all plaited. And that is what has made him feel hashtag blessed. Then we have Zelina. Zelina is feeling blessed for her husband, Bill, who's just turned 50. I don't know if you can see pictures of Phil. Looks like a solid guy, doesn't he? Trustworthy. You know, I'm thinking you'd be, you'd be blessed to be married to him. There's Bill, he's 50. Then we've got, and this, I think this is the weirdest one, I think. We've got CHS Autotech. This, well, I was going to say guy. I don't know if it's a guy. It could be male or female. Feeling blessed uh, that someone has given them a gift of a golden ratchet. I don't know what a golden ratchet is or what it is used for, but CHS Auto Tech is feeling very hashtag blessed by it, which, great, whatever floats your boat, that's great. And we couldn't finish hashtag blessed without a puppy picture. Urana is feeling blessed because, yeah, her little baby, again, baby, I'm assuming is kitten, has fallen asleep on her blankie while she's working. So we all go, oh, isn't that nice? Yeah, that's what makes people feel blessed. Now, I don't know what makes you feel blessed. Maybe it's family, maybe it's friends, maybe it's pets, maybe it's football managers, or, you know, there may be someone here even empathizing with the golden ratchet guy, thinking, yes, I would feel blessed if I was given a golden ratchet, or maybe it's something else. I don't know what it is makes you feel blessed. But often when we think of blessings, we think of material comforts, health, prosperity, nice things. And perhaps being blessed with beauty or intelligence or success, that kind of thing. And 
This morning, I want us to see that if we're in Christ, if we're Christians, we get so many blessings. We get blessings that far outweigh pets, football managers, and we get blessings that even far outweigh golden ratchets because we get what's called spiritual blessings. And they're much more valuable and far, far, far longer lasting than any material blessings that we can imagine. So this morning, we're going to start a new series going through the book of Ephesians. Give me a woo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, excited for Ephesians. And we're going to start this series this morning by looking at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. You can turn to it in your Bible. It will appear on the screen behind us. But basically, this passage is all about how we are blessed in Christ. How we get loads of good stuff because we're Christians. I'm going to talk about what what these good things are in a bit. But before we get stuck into the passage, a little bit of background to the book of Ephesians. So Paul, Apostle Paul, arrived in the city of Ephesus in 53 AD. That's who the letter of Ephesians is written to. Uh, Now, back then, Ephesus was a huge city, a huge, huge city. 500,000 people lived in Ephesus. We have a kind of a a reconstruction of what it may have looked like. Um, It was the fourth or fifth largest city in the world at that time. And I don't know if you can see in the middle of the kind of semicircle thing in the middle, that was the the stadium in Ephesus, a 25,000 seater capacity stadium, which was huge for ancient times, which you can still visit today, actually. And I think in terms of sound is is incredibly good What's the word sound? Acoustically, you can stand at the bottom and you can, you, can, you can project and people can hear you the whole way to the top. It's amazing. Now, Ephesus was also the epicenter of worship for most of the Greek and Roman gods at the time. So it's, it was kind of a bit like, like Mecca is now to Muslims. Like that's what Ephesus was like to kind of for Greek and Roman gods back then. So people would travel for long, long distances to come to Ephesus to worship their gods. Gods like Artemis and lots of other examples, lots and lots of gods. And the center of worship was Ephesus. Now, when Paul got to Ephesus in 53 AD, he found 12 believers. All right. If you can even call them believers, because he writes in Acts chapter 19 that like, they kind of knew about Jesus and they half knew about the Holy Spirit. So it's even debatable whether these 12 people were believers, but they kind of thought they were. So Paul's like, okay, that's good enough for me and sits down with them and starts teaching them and starts, you know, sowing some stuff into them and, and taught them loads of stuff and baptized them. And, and what we read is that Paul actually then spends two years in Ephesus preaching and teaching. And the result of that is that loads and loads and loads of people get saved. Now, interesting little fact, right? About all the people who get saved, loads of, all the people who got saved came from like pagan backgrounds. So they were worshiping other gods and they all had like, like these kind of books kind of instructing them how to worship these other gods. And so many people got saved. And what they did when they got saved was they said, well, we don't need these books anymore. Let's get rid of them. So all the people who got saved decided to like have a, a book burning party, essentially, to burn all the books that they didn't need anymore. And we, we, we've, we've kind of, he calculated out the cost of the pagan books that were burnt because so many people became Christians in Ephesus is about 10 million quid in today's money. That's the cost of the books that were burned because Paul preached the gospel and people got saved and they're like, we don't need this stuff anymore. 
Okay, so by the time Paul leaves Ephesus after those two years, there's a lot less pagan books in Ephesus, for one. (laughs) But there's also a thriving church which has already sent out loads of missionaries to share the gospel right across the region. So much so that Acts chapter 19 says, everyone in the area heard the word of the Lord. Okay, so everyone in that area, I mean, that that could have been a couple of million people. Now, it doesn't say they all became Christians, but they all heard the word of the Lord. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? So after two years, Paul then moves on and starts a bunch more churches in different cities. And then in 57 AD, so four years after he'd been in Ephesus, he goes to Jerusalem. He gets arrested in Jerusalem because the Jews are now really peeved that he just won't stop telling people about Jesus. He's like, you know, we've told you like 20 times, stop the Jesus thing, Paul, and he won't stop. So they have him arrested. Uh, and he's, he's, he's kept in prison in a place called Caesarea, which is on the coast of Israel. He's there for about two years until 59 AD when he shipped off to Rome. Now, these are the days where you didn't just, you know, get a Ryanair flight or an EasyJet flight to Rome. You know, it took about a year to get to Rome. So he gets to Rome and then in 60 AD, while under house arrest in Rome, and he's about to stand trial for his life in the highest court in the Roman Empire, 680, he writes this letter back to the church in Ephesus that he'd started seven years previously. Now, interestingly, well, it's interesting to me, whether it is to you, is debatable. You can decide for yourself. Interestingly, for me, this is, Ephesians is the only New Testament letter written to a church not in response to an issue they had. All the other letters were responses to like, ways that the churches were messing up and things that they were doing wrong you know so like Galatians were going back to the law and Paul writes him a letter and says don't do that you know the Corinthians well we're just messed up in so many ways and Paul writes him a letter he writes two letters that's how messed they are you know don't do this stuff you know we're so but with the Ephesian church he didn't need to challenge all this stuff he didn't need to challenge them or confront them or sin or challenge false teaching or ask for money as in all the other letters so because he doesn't need to talk to the Ephesians about all this stuff, because you don't have you know, the telling off for the first couple of chapters, what Paul does is he just tells them how awesome Jesus is. And in this opening passage, that's what he does. He tells them how awesome Jesus is, and he gets quite excited. And in and, and this open passage, he just talks about how blessed we are in Christ. That's these first 14 verses. Now, we can tell Paul got excited because, right, From verse 3 to 14 in this passage, right, it's one sentence, okay? Like, in the original Greek, there's no breaths, there's no pauses, there's no punctuation, there's nothing. Paul gets so excited. You know the thing where you 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 get excited about something, you you just talk real fast until until you get to the end of it? That's kind of what Paul does here. Now, thankfully, the, um, you know, the English translators have put some punctuation in and, like, some commas and full stops and stuff. But it was just one sentence. Paul got really excited about how blessed we are in Christ. Let's read the passage. It's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. says this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before we get to verse 3, I thought I'd try something. In honor of the fact that Paul wrote verse 3 to 14 as one sentence, I am going to try and read it as one sentence. Um, We'll see how we go. So let's go. Right, so I'm going to read this as one sentence. Okay, hopefully I don't die at the end of this. Right, verse 3. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will through the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who are the first to put our hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And you also, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marking him with a seal, a promised Holy Spirit, his deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You know, I did this at Reddish last week and someone actually counted how many breaths I took in that. There were like five breaths, Andy. You didn't really do it in one sentence. I was like, all right, okay, relax. I didn't want to die in front of you. So did anybody take any of that in? Nope. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Me neither. I was just focusing on surviving. Well, let's slow it down. Let's slow it down now and let's have a look at some of these blessings. Okay, so what are some of these blessings God has given us? Well, firstly, God has chosen and adopted us. We see that verse four and five. He's redeemed us. He's re- in verse seven, we see that. He's, he's revealed himself to us. Verse nine, uh, we've been marked. He's marked us with the Holy Spirit. We see that verse 13. So we're going to just have a look at what some of these, what some of these things mean uh, just now. So firstly, God has chosen and adopted us. What does that mean? Now, has anybody, anybody seen the film Lion? Uh, it's got Dev Patel in it. Have you seen it? Brilliant film. Yeah, anybody who's seen it is like, yes, quality film. Uh, Elizabeth doesn't watch it because she's like, that would be too sad, Andy. That would be too sad. I would cry and I don't want to cry right now. I just want to feel good, so I'm not watching it. So um, it is one of those tearjerker films. But basically, without trying to ruin it, um, there's this little boy, based on a true story, a little boy called Saru, a little Indian boy, and he, he, gets, he manages to find himself on a train in his village in the middle of central India. And the train, for some reason, gets locked, and he can't get off the train, and the train travels for two days, and they open the doors, and he's in Kolkata, huge city in India. He has no idea where he is. He's completely lost. He's only five, so he can't really remember where he's from. He can't tell anyone, I'm from this place. Can you get me back here? So he's lost in this huge city, and basically he lives in a dump, just searching for food in a dump. That's all he can do. He's completely vulnerable, completely lost. And he gets brought to a rescue center in Kolkata. And basically, cut a long story short, this lovely wealthy couple uh, come and they come to the rescue center and they choose him they say we want this little boy we want to adopt this little boy into our into our family and they do and they give him a, a great life a really really good life good education they're lovely people good parents and, and that's kind of most of the story there's a little bit at the end but that's basically what happens and you know that's kind of a little bit like what God does for us you know we're kind of you know, we're mired in our own sin, you know, like that little boy in the dump. But God rescues us, adopts us into his family. He chooses us and adopts us in his family and gives us a fantastic inheritance. That's like what God does for us. And we see that in verses four and five. I'll read this a bit slower, okay? For he, for he chose us, verse four, in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. 
You know, in, uh, in ancient Rome, adoption actually had a really powerful meaning, much more powerful than it is today. See, in ancient Rome, when a child was born biologically, the parents of the child had the option of disowning the child for a variety of reasons. Could be the child's sex, could be a disability, could just be that they just didn't want the child. And if that was the case, they could just discard the child as soon as it was born and let it die. And that was accepted practice back then. You wouldn't get judged for that. Lots of people did that. Okay, that's ancient Roman society. Okay, so the relationship, therefore, for a biological child was not necessarily permanent. Now, it was completely different, though, if a child was adopted. You see, in Roman society back then, adopting a child meant that that child had been freely chosen by the parents. And it meant that that child would be a permanent part of the family. And unlike with biological children in ancient Rome, Parents couldn't legally disown a child they had adopted back then. Okay, so if you were adopted back then, your status, your status was secure. It could not be taken away. And you know, the same is true for us as believers. If God has chosen you to be his, then nothing can take that away. Why? Because it's not dependent on you holding on to him but it's dependent on him holding on to you. And Jesus says in John chapter six, I will lose none of those whom the father has given me. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that incredibly reassuring. You know, you know those, those, those weeks where you just have a horrible week and you don't read your Bible much and you feel a bit low and you feel a bit this. God's holding on, it's not about you holding on to him. He's holding on to you, he's got you. You know, no matter what happens, you're adopted, you're in his family, nothing can change that. And that is incredibly reassuring, incredibly comforting. And also in ancient Rome, a little bit more, an adopted child in ancient Rome received a new identity. So any prior commitments or responsibilities or debts were completely erased and new rights and responsibilities were taken on for this, this new adopted child. And also in ancient Rome, the concept of inheritance, a bit different to us now, the concept of inheritance was part of life, not something that began at death. Okay, so being adopted made someone an heir to their father and joint sharers in all his possessions and fully united to him. And that's what Paul is getting at here when he talks about us being chosen and adopted into God's family. He's saying we get all this stuff when we're in Christ, when we become Christians. That's good news, isn't it? Amen. Yes. So what else, what are the other blessings that come from God? Well, second blessing comes from God is God redeemed us. God has redeemed us. And we see that in verses seven and eight. It says this, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Now, the Oxford definition uh, of, of the word redeemed has two meanings. You'll probably recognize them. The first meaning of redemption is to compensate for the faults or bad aspects of someone. So it's probably, have you ever heard of someone, someone's redeeming qualities? It's that kind of thing, you know, that kind of covers over the bad stuff. And then the second definition is kind of the one that's most applicable about what we're talking to, about today, but they both kind of are. And that's to gain or regain possession of something or someone in exchange for payment. That's what redemption means. And I think these are quite good descriptions of what it means for us to be redeemed by God through Jesus. 
You know, you see, Jesus compensated for our faults and our bad aspects, our sin, our rebellion against God. And Jesus has regained possession of us in exchange for payment. See, without Jesus, we would all be in the possession of death and evil, and that would be our eternal future. But God said no. He said, I will compensate for your faults and bad aspects, and I will regain possession of you in exchange for payment. And the payment, of course, was his blood. And, you know, it's important for us to acknowledge that, you know, our salvation was costly. You know, it was, it was costly, not in money, but in blood. I've been reading a, a book about the, the British forces fighting against the Japanese in Burma in the Second World War. And it's written by the general of the, the British forces. And he'll often talk about some town or village or place that, that they had to take from the enemy. And he'll say, you know, we had this mission and we took it from the enemy, but it was costly. And when he talks about it being costly, he's never talking about how much money it cost to buy the bullets or the tanks or the guns. He's always talking about how costly it is in blood. Because that's the costliest thing you can give to redeem something, to buy something back. So that's what they did. They bought those, those towns and villages back with the blood of soldiers. And in the same way, Jesus buys us back from sin and death by his blood, his blood shed on the cross. You know, I heard a few years ago a story about Abraham Lincoln, the American president. Now, I'll be honest, I haven't... Whether this is true or not, I don't know. It could be one of those urban myths. It could be true. I don't know. I haven't done the you know, extensive fact check, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share it anyway, just to share the point. Apparently, this happened before the Civil War. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, who was obviously opposed to slavery, he went down to a slave auction and he wanted to make a political point. So he, he, he went to a slave auction and there was this uh, African-American young woman and she was being auctioned. For sale. And he went and he bid on her and he won. He was the highest bidder and he paid the money and the auctioneer brought this young woman over in chains to Abraham Lincoln and she appears before him and she thought, here's another white man who's going to use and abuse me and then discard me when I'm no longer of any use. But Abraham Lincoln wasn't thinking that at all. Instead, he just looked at her. He looked her in the eye and he said, you're free. And she was kind of, wasn't quite sure, what's he, is he joking? What's he on about? He said, what do you mean? I'm free to you know, be whoever I want to be. Said, you're free to be whoever you want to be. I mean, I'm free to say whatever I want to say. Said, you're free to say whatever you want to say. And then she kind of starts to get the point and tears start welling up in her eyes. And she says, what do you mean? I'm free to go wherever I want to go. Abraham Lincoln looks at her and says, you're free to go wherever you want to go. You are free. And as she kind of realizes what's happened, that she has actually been freed, she turns to him and she says, well, in that case, I think I'll go with you. And she became a paid employee in the household of Abraham Lincoln for the rest of her life. Now, as I said, I don't know if that story is true or parts of it is true or completely true. I don't know if that's true about Abraham Lincoln, but I know it's true about Jesus because that is what he has done. That is a beautiful picture of what he has done for us. He has paid the price on the cross so that we might be free. And like the slave girl, we too get to choose to follow the one who paid the price and live for him. So that's number two, where God blesses us. He's redeemed us. 
Thirdly, God has revealed himself to us. That's the third blessing we see here. So not only did God say, I want you to be my adopted child, you know, I chose you and I will pay for you, but he also decided to reveal himself and his plan for humanity to us. And we see that in verses 9 and 10. It says this, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. lost. Sorry, guys. So God has shown us who he is through Jesus, and he has has given us a a glimpse of what our future looks like. He will bring unity to all things. There will be no longer any division or conflict or hatred or death. There will be no more invasions of Ukraine or invasions of anywhere or war. There will be peace and there will be unity. And we have this to look forward to. We have this hope. What a blessing that is. Amen? It is a blessing to have that, you know? And, uh, oh, yeah, it really is a blessing. And he's revealed that to us. He's shown that. That's what's coming. So that's the third blessing we see. And the fourth and final blessing I just want to share with you this morning is that we have been marked by the Holy Spirit. Now, what does it mean when something has been marked? Well, my son Max, when he goes to school, everything you put on him needs to be marked. Because when it gets lost, and it will get lost, someone needs to know whose is this. I remember one time going to nursery one time, and we were like, uh, yeah, Max has lost his grey hoodie. It hasn't come home. And they were like, oh, has it, you know, has it got his name on it? So, no, it doesn't. And they kind of almost laughed at us. It was a bit like, well, you ain't getting that. There's about 20 grand hoodies in there. You can choose one if you want. But yeah, for kids, you've got to mark everything. You put their name on it so that we know whose this thing is. I mean, it is a little bit of a first world problem, but you know when we got all the cups? Rich can, you know, ably demonstrate his nice cup with the, the CCM cups. Yes. We got all these for people at church. But the problem is next week, the week after, everybody shows up with identically looking cups. <laughs> and then you set your cup down and there's like six cups all along this road. And which one's mine? And then people are like, okay, I need to mark this. And then some people are like writing their name in huge big letters on the thing. I'm not that guy. I don't like the, you know, Andy Brownlee's cup. Yeah, I'm not that kind of. So what I've tended to do is I get a little, I get a little star and draw a little star in the bottom of the cup. Just mark it so I know that it's my cup. That's my cup. That's my saliva on there. Don't share it, anyone. Um, But yeah, that's what it means to be marked. And you know, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. You know, you pay a deposit. You're going. It's in the bank. A deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So God has given us the Holy Spirit so that we have a reassurance, a deposit that we belong to him and that we will truly inherit a wonderful future with God when he makes all things new. And there will be no more suffering or evil. Being marked by the Holy Spirit means that nothing can separate us from God. Isn't that good news? Yes. We're adopted into his family and nothing can change that. We are chosen, we are redeemed, and nothing, nothing, nothing can change that. It's in permanent marker, like that permanent marker on those cups. It can't be rubbed off. So we are blessed in Christ. Why? Because God has chosen and adopted us. Number one, he has redeemed and forgiven us. He has revealed himself to us. 
And he has marked us with the Holy Spirit so that we can know we truly belong to God and that nothing can change that. So what's our response to all of this? Um, I mean, what's our response? To, well, Paul tells us in verse 3, praise be to God. So our response is praise. So Jamie, I hope you've got an absolute banger after this, yeah? Don't get up now. I know we're not finished yet, but I'm just, you know... <laughs> Something that lifts the roof off, you know, yeah, okay, no pressure, anyway. But yeah, that's the response, to, to praise him, to worship him, you know. The Bible says, we don't praise, the rocks are going to cry out, and I don't want to hear them sing, you know. We praise him, that's what we do, we jump about, we praise him. I don't know if you've noticed, this whole passage, it, it talks about the things God has done for us, what he has given us, how he has blessed us. It doesn't mention anything that we must do in order to receive those blessings, you know, we re- we've received them freely and we thank and we praise God for them. He has done it all if we're in Christ. And the, and the passage, it, then it mentions the phrase in Christ actually a number of times. And that's the only prerequisite to, to receiving these blessings that we've talked about today. We have to be in Christ. And what does that mean? It means that we acknowledge that we have done wrong, that we have wronged God, that we need to be redeemed. And it means that we acknowledge that the only way for our faults to be compensated for is through accepting that Jesus made the payment by giving his life on the cross. That's the only way to be made in Christ and receive all these amazing, amazing blessings. So why are these blessings better than any other blessings? Why is that? Well, it's because we never have to doubt if we're wanted or loved, or cared about, because we can know we're not an accident. God has planned us, and he has a plan for us. We can know that. You know, many of us will have experienced rejection in our lives, I'm sure. Uh, Could be rejection from parents. We may have experienced rejection of friends letting us down at times in our lives. We may have experienced rejection with our work colleagues, you know, talking about us behind our back or something like that. Perhaps you were in a relationship and the other person said, I don't want to be with you anymore. Like that rejection, it hurts. It really, really does hurt. Rejection hurts so, so badly. And I just want to say, if that's you, if you're like, yeah, I've experienced that rejection, uh, that feeling of rejection, I just want you to know this, that, that, you know, if you're a Christian here today, God has chosen you. He's picked you out of the crowd and he said, I want you to be mine. I want you to be part of my family. You, yes, you. I know the things you've done, but I've sent my son to deal with that at the cross, because I want you as part of my family. You're in the farm. You're in God's family, you know? And as they say, and what, the Godfather, you respect the family. You're in. Yeah, he's chosen you. And you know, it's so easy with like Ephesians. It's so cerebral and there's big words and you think, oh, it sounds good. It's so easy to let, us, let it go into our heads and not to get to our hearts. Someone once said that the greatest distance in the world is between the head and the heart. But you know, when this doesn't just go into our when it doesn't just go into our heads, but we let it into our hearts, it changes us. You know, like we spend so much of our lives running from stuff and running towards stuff. We spend so much of our lives running from rejection, 
running from hopelessness, running from loneliness, running from fear of failure, and at the same time running towards success, running towards more affluence, running towards things that we think will bring us satisfaction and happiness. But when we let these truths sink into our hearts, you know what? We don't have to run anymore. We can stop and we can just rest in Him. We can just rest in Him, rest in His love. We don't have to keep running. We don't have to keep proving ourselves, keep striving, because we will know in our hearts that we are completely loved and accepted by God Himself. And that is so, so freeing, isn't it? So freeing. You know, our window cleaner came on Friday, and uh, I always have a chat with him. He's in about his mid-twenties, and... uh, we always have this interesting conversation. I, you know, I, I've told him, pastor for church and all that. And we have this, we always have a bit of God chat. And his thing with me is always, he'll always tell me what he has in life and how he's earned it himself and it's got nothing to do with God. You know, that's his thing. And then I always push back and I'm like, really? Nothing to do with God? And we have this kind of little back and forth while he's up a ladder, you know, doing our windows. And he came this, this, this week and he's like, Andy, I've uh, bought a house in Reddish. 145 grand, good house. God didn't give me that, you know. Grafted for that myself. I was like, I was like, did you? Well, who gave you the body to actually graft for that? So we're having this. He's like, oh yeah, good point that actually, yeah. But here we have a guy who who, who just can't see the the blessings that God has put into his life. Not just the spiritual blessings, just the the normal blessings. And I was just thinking, you know, it's so important for us to acknowledge the blessings. Like, yes, we have these blessings. But also, you know, my heart just broke for the guy because I was just thinking, oh man, I want you to have this stuff. I want you to have all this riches that that God has and all the blessings that he, he has for us. And yeah, I just want that to be our prayer, you know, for our friends, for our neighbors, for our families. Not that we keep this stuff for ourselves, but that we, we get to see loads and loads of our family members and friends come to receive these amazing blessings as well.